0: It's time again for Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys. Three generations and three hot takes. The triple threat includes baby boomer Ted Patel of Sportsnet Michigan and c 925 The Castle. Our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the millennial man is Jared Patel of Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan and Fat Stack Sports. Comments and questions can be sent by email to 3 pod at gmail.com or hit them up on social media at 3 The fellows will get it rolling right after this from our partners.
1: Nelson House Funeral Homes' number one goal is to serve the families in our community. They're not tied into an out-of-state corporation or their board of directors. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. The top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors, being right there when you need them most. With unique service to represent unique lives in mid-Michigan, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration they deserve. The business started in 1880 and continues the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine and New Lothrop. For more details, see them on the web at nelsonhouse.com or call them at 989-723-5234.
0: three-point podcast located on the corner of siawassee and m21 in corona
1: it's time for episode 147 of three-point podcast our partners include advanced elevator corona connection hankered sportswear rivals tap house and grill nelson house funeral homes sheridan auction service and z 925 the castle i'm the geezer ted Fatel. 30-something, Matt Burns is on the phone from North Carolina, and the young fella, Jared Fattel, joins me here in the Three Point Podcast Studios. Well, the quinn era is finally over for the Lions. Penn State and the Nittany Lions, along with James Franklin, get their first W of the season in Ann Arbor, and MSU takes down previously unbeaten Northwestern. What a weekend. We'll get more into the Lions situation shortly, as we'll be joined by filmmaker Mike Vanderpool, who produced the documentary Heart of a Lions fan kind of fitting that we're going to get into that with the big news coming out of Detroit that documentary by the way currently running on Amazon we're going to get it kicked off here in just a moment but first I want to tell you about our friends at Advanced Elevator Company they have the best trained professional field technicians for installation troubleshooting and repair of elevators in the entire Midwest Centrally located with headquarters in the heart of Owasso, an area business leader and a longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools. Also helping us out, Hankard Sportswear, the area's go to clothing and more printing business, with many loyal customers. The Hankard Sportswear team prides themselves by giving a good product at a great value, 100% guaranteed to satisfy your expectations, and they are a big part. Of Owasso's Glow Celebration that took place this last weekend, kind of getting off the uh, local shopping season underway. And they had a big 5K in town and uh, a lot of stuff here locally. So uh, I know uh, that the area really appreciates
2: hankered Sportswear. All right, so my Thanksgiving... Not going to lie, a little underwhelming. Didn't even really feel like Thanksgiving. Uh, about midway through the Lions game, I went and took a nap. I was like, I've seen enough of this. <laughs> the food, we didn't eat until 5. I'm i I'm used to the normal. Our family normally has a tradition where we eat all at once. So I even had – I ate before. Uh, we even had Thanksgiving dinner, which is something I never do, but there was no way I was going to last until 5. So I had some leftover pizza. And just, you know, the meal was good and all that, but it's just it's not quite the same uh, without the family, without obviously everything – under COVID restrictions with the Thanksgiving Eve, no Thanksgiving Eve. This Thanksgiving break was a little bit underwhelming.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a uh, different and not not what we're used to. Of course, Lana and I went over to my dad's for the Lions game. We took him a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and we were going to eat at halftime, but it smelled so good when we put, got in the door, all three of us said, let's eat right now yeah. because Lions might take away our appetite. And, boy, we were right on that. But, uh, yeah, definitely a different low-key Thanksgiving I do like low key in general, but I prefer the whole family get together.
3: Yeah, for situations like Thanksgiving, definitely having a big gathering is more fun. And yeah, I I mentioned that to my wife. Like, obviously it was was nice and a a big meal and all that stuff watching the Lions, even though they stunk. You know, it's a Thanksgiving tradition, but you were at, or at least we were at home. So it just felt like another, like, Saturday or another Sunday yeah. or something like that, you know. So yeah, I definitely get what you guys are saying. The, the feel was just a little different. We did the whole FaceTime with all of our family yeah. and seeing everyone, talking to everyone, and obviously we had a ton of good food. But it was definitely a different vibe. But I, I saw a lot of people talking about it, and you did. You mentioned it last week, Jared. Waking up Thursday morning without that uh, Thanksgiving Eve hangover—that was—that was, that was kind of nice.
2: Oh, it was. Uh, it was uh, definitely. Awesome. I didn't have a drink of alcohol this entire break, which is the first time I could say that in about five years. Well, probably about four years, but I will say we did like a little, like you mentioned the FaceTime call. We did like a zoom call with probably 30 people and we were on it for about an hour. And I don't know if anything was said the entire time of substance. It was basically just, you know, people over talking, uh, talking over each other, yelling, like laughing at how we couldn't really talk to each other. And that was basically it. So I was with my family for about an hour, but I don't think I learned anything new during that hour.
1: Yeah, I had an observation on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, When my sister Jenny proposed the fact, you know, that we would do a Zoom. I thought it was a good idea, and I did make a mention to her that I'll guarantee you that it crashes because everybody in the world had free Zoom for Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. But we pulled that all off very well. Uh, the, But Jared said it perfectly. I mean, it was it was nonstop chaos with everybody trying to talk at the same time. And, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because I was getting a little grumpy. I'm I'm just sitting there, and I wasn't saying much because everybody else was just <laughs> – it it was just hurting my head there was so much conversation going on
2: there was really no better way to do it. i i mean we could have i was the people who were on zoom all the time you know we have people in our family that are teachers and administrators and stuff that use this every single day i thought we would have a little bit better organization <laughs> yeah, me uh, too. they don't even they didn't really even know how to put something on the screen or how to mute people so it was just chaotic nobody really understands the in the intricacies of zoom it it appeared
1: yeah if you wanted to be like a a typical aunt or uncle this would be my one suggestion maybe it sounds lame but everybody should be on mute and then we should have taken turns just a quick comment on what's been going on with the family and what you're thankful for then move on to the next one because it was just chaos
3: that would be a good way to do it and it just makes you think about how this year has just like changed everything like to think about that you're doing a Thanksgiving dinner on Zoom or whatever. Because, I mean, that's kind of how it is a lot of times. If, if all you guys on that Zoom call were in the same house, in the same living room, it'd probably be about the same, right? Like the chaos of oh, yeah. everyone talking, running oh, everywhere.
1: Yeah, we're the loud family, no doubt about it.
3: Right. But, like, when you're out, when you're sitting in front of a computer, it's definitely way different. Like you said, it almost starts giving you a headache. But, yeah, it's definitely crazy. And the other part of it, too, I know you. I, another thing you mentioned last week, Jared, the the whole Black Friday aspect, Black Friday just, like, isn't really as big of a deal anymore because it starts, like, November 1st. Yeah. Like, like, Black Friday just, like, goes for the whole month. And then now there's, you know, obviously Cyber Monday is a huge deal. So, like, even that part that used to be, like, even if you didn't take part in Black Friday, it was still kind of, like, a cool thing of Thanksgiving break. So even that's different. Everyone's just sitting at home buying stuff on Amazon or whatever. So it's just, like... I'm not saying like you know thanksgiving is terrible now, but it's just definitely like a different feel, maybe it's because it's twenty twenty I don't
2: know it just yeah, it was very underwhelming uh as a holiday i don't i mean i it was just interesting to see what Christmas is like I mean Christmas is a little bit more you spend it generally just with your family, I feel like at least in my family that's how it always was is we just hang together, so we'll see maybe that'll be better, but I don't know a little bit of a depressing covid uh day. Yeah, One yeah. of the first we've had. Thanksgiving Eve was kind of the first big blow, yep. and then Thanksgiving was right behind it.
1: Well, we got past it. You know, We're all still healthy. Now, you talked about Christmas, and you're right. We usually typically keep that to our own families, other than our get-together at Frankenmuth, which is completely up in the air right now. Uh, but this year, at least, we're planning on, if, if all continues to go well and we're allowed to travel out of state we're gonna go out to dc for actual christmas day this year yeah so so that'll be fun i do have a question for jared though because you know we're we brought it up last week and you know you had your
2: thanksgiving night over at your girlfriend's house how did that go well due to the zoom call um (laughs) going on for probably about 45 minutes longer than i anticipated i thought maybe it was gonna be 15 minutes in and out I didn't get over there until about uh, 9 or 9.30, and there was only two people left. So <laughs> basically didn't really have the whole you know Thanksgiving uh, thing there. They, they did wait to eat, eat pie with me, so that was nice. But, uh, yeah, just didn't quite have to deal with the family, so I guess Christmas will be interesting in that aspect as well. But the one thing that I think we all can be thankful for is obviously the elephant in the room. Patricia yes. and Quinn are gonzo. And and I'm glad that uh, the new owner, uh, Ford, I don't even know. There's so many damn Fords that have owned the Lions. that it, She's a Sheila Ford. Sheila
1: Ford Hamp. Yes. yes.
2: That I'm glad that she showed, I think it was your tweet that said, that she showed the balls to finally just get this done. Don't wait for the end of the season. Embarrass them now. Get them out now. I don't care who the interim is. Just get them out. And that's what they did.
3: Yeah, it seemed like that people were starting. It, it's, the writing was on the wall. Patricia was going to be gone, whether it was now or at the end of the year. It really, it, it, you could just tell, like, okay, yep, this is going to happen. But the big thing was, it, are they going to, like, tie those two together, Quinn and Patricia? Are they going to keep Quinn and let him bring someone else in, or are they kind of, like, attached at the hips? So, I'm I'm glad they sent them both out, because if they would have kept Quinn, it would have felt like it wasn't really, like, a big change, you know? Like, yeah, whoever yep. they're going to bring in as head coach, Quinn is still there. So, I'm glad they, they shipped them both out of town. The funny thing was, like, when they actually announced it, though, it yeah. was, like, I forget exactly. It was during the Michigan game anyway. I think it was in the third quarter maybe. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, so that's like Michigan's in a battle with Penn State. So that's what everyone, at least like in the state of Michigan or whatever, that's what they're like watching. Michigan State was getting close to kicking off at 3.30. So that's all anyone is thinking about, college football Saturday. And then, boom, the hammer comes down. Patricia and Quinn are gone. So it's almost like why didn't they announce it Friday morning? Why didn't they wait until – Maybe even wait till Monday, or you know, like you know, to announce it. But let's slip it in while Michigan is playing, while everyone's paying attention to Michigan, and maybe it won't be that big of a deal. I thought that was kind of funny.
2: Yes, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. I mean, now they don't have first take. Probably well, it'll be like a little ten-minute segment on ESPN on Monday. Whereas if it was on Friday, it probably would have been thirty minutes. So they probably would have talked about it. I think it's smart. It just bury the lead. Now no one's really even going to remember it. It's kind of even like for us, it's, it happened yesterday. It almost feels a little bit late breaking now. That's just kind of the way the sports world works now. And the way is, the thing that bothers me the most about how they did it is the fact that it's almost like why why do it on like Thanksgiving weekend right, like why would you not do it right on Friday? Obviously like you said, Matt, right after they embarrassed us all, like give us at least like Elaine a, a Kiffin is what I wanted for the for the Matt Patricia era. <laughs> I wanted it to be where he's getting on the plane, getting ready to go back and then they say, dude, you're not getting on the plane, you're fired. No turkey for no you. no turkey for you. I wanted his Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. ruined, which it probably was already because he got embarrassed on national TV, but still just I mean, what a bad regime it's been.
1: You know, it was an interesting way that uh, they did announce it, too. You talked about it It happening right during the Michigan game, and Michigan State was getting ready to kick off. And I don't know if you guys caught it on Twitter, but uh, apparently none of the local Detroit media was allowed to check in on the Zoom call and ask any questions. So I thought, again, the Fords uh, wielding that power, they didn't want to deal with any any snarky questions from the Detroit media. And uh, I don't know, timing's everything, I guess.
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe they're waiting until Monday or maybe they're going to have another press conference or something, you know, to answer questions. Maybe they didn't want to, like, deal with that just this weekend. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see, like, when they actually, actually open availability to the media. But, you know, like like you said, Jared, it was just, like, such a depressing regime. Like, I saw the stats since 2004. The Lions are 4-13 and on Thanksgiving, but Caldwell, Jim Caldwell was 3-1. and So, like, that, all this stuff is starting to bring back all the talk on twitter is did they jump the gun on firing jim caldwell and i know we've talked about it a little bit but like does how the things have played out with matt patricia are we back to thinking they jumped the gun a little bit on caldwell or where do you guys think about
1: that i'll raise my hand right up i mean i was on the on the the wagon to get rid of him because they weren't going any further than 9 and 7 or you know the first round of the playoffs and i was wrong i mean they probably would be Way better off if they'd have just kept Caldwell. At least looking at it in hindsight, they still would have been competitive. Who knows? Maybe they would have won a playoff game. But I'm not on board saying you bring Caldwell back. I mean that that ship has sailed, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> who is so? Who even is the big name that I is uh, obviously the Chiefs' offensive coordinator? Be enemy. I'm okay with that hire. In terms of the guys that I think would be a home run hire, everyone's going to throw out Urban Meyer. It's not happening. Might as well, the ship has sailed on that one, as you like to say, so you might as well just stop throwing that name out there because it's not I'm not happening. alone,
1: though. I don't know if you've noticed that. there's other Oh, people. I've
2: also seen uh, uh, graphics of him wearing Texas gear, so I, I don't think that we're the only people <laughs> okay. that are doing that. I think it's pretty much every fan base in the country, um, so... I, I like I like the idea of the enemy. I would be I would be behind that hire, but I want Lewis Riddick, I, and I know that he's kind of the big name. I don't know if it's whether or not just because people actually know who he is, where most GMs you don't even know their names. But I think he seems like a really smart guy. It seems like everybody in the NFL circles is like this guy. I don't we don't understand why he's not a GM. So let's bring him in. He's a big name hire, and let's just get some new blood. Like the GM is almost the more important position because that's the problem we've had is we can't draft. We have sucked in the draft the, like, under the Bob Quinn era. It's time to, to maybe start getting some guy that's going to make some big moves, like getting rid of Stafford, and stop kind of just retreading the same like core that we've had for the last 15 years, it seems like. So
1: you're not you're not on board with maybe like Herman Moore posted out there. He'd like to see Chris Spielman back in, in the no. organization. Oh, Bring my him gosh, in as president no, of operations
2: no. or something? I don't want Spielman. No? I'm sick of see Spielman being our uh, announcer. He announces every Lions game in history. It's horrible. I'm sick of him. Yeah. Yeah, the,
3: the one thing I always wonder, you know, fans I think fall in love with former players when they're trying to, like, get into coaching or some sort of management role. They think, like, because they were such a great player for the team, they're going to be a great run in the organization or coaching the team or, you know, whatever. I think, like, sometimes that's just not necessarily a good idea. Like, I don't know, would Spielman even be good in that role? I, I don't even know because yeah, I don't think he's held that role anywhere. He, he's just been – an announcer in his post playing day career. But I, I think Ted, you mentioned president of operations. I think if they were even thinking about it, that might be a good idea. Have right. him come in and be president and like oversee things. Right. But I, I like you, Jared, what you said, Lewis Riddick would be a great hire as GM to start, you know, kind of be the guy to like make the moves, the trades and, you know, make all those, those calls and stuff like that. B. enemy would be great as a head coach, but my thing is like, I, he has such a good, I, unless he has, Goals to be a head coach in the NFL sometime, but he, he has like the perfect situation as offensive coordinator with the Chiefs. Andy Reid is there as head coach, so really, like, most of the, I guess, pressure falls on Andy Reid. You've got Patrick Mahomes in like the most electric offense with the Chiefs. Unless he has, you know, unless he has goals to be a head coach, why would he leave the Chiefs to go coach mm-hmm. the Lions? Like, that's what I would, why would you go to that mess? The roster's a mess. If you're going to trade Stafford, what are you going to like draft the quarterbacks? Now you got to, you know, like two or three year rebuilding period. So I, I just, when people throw up the enemy, it's just like, I don't know if he'd even want to go there. The one thing I do hope is that they do. I mean, you mentioned like new blood. I hope they get someone young. I'm not just saying like age is a thing, but it seems like they always just go after these like older defensive coordinator type guys, Rod Marinelli, morning wig, uh, Jim Schwartz, you know, Schwartz was a little younger, but you know, another defensive minded guy. So like, why can't they like just get someone like a B enemy or like a Joe Brady who's with the Panthers, he was with the LSU mm-hmm. you know yep. in college. Get someone young. Get someone who's going to be like bring some energy, running up and down the sidelines and you know a little like life to the lions, because if you just bring in another defensive-minded guy, I feel like it's just going to be the same thing over again.
2: That is what we always have the such boring head coaches. That's and that's the thing. It's like like you, Ted. You're talking about like Urban minor They're not coming to the Lions. Even enemy, he probably isn't coming to the Lions. We need to swing like for the fences with these guys, like a Cliff Kingsbury, like guys where you almost kind of laugh when they're hired. Like, what the hell did we hire this guy for? And then they end up working out. That's the only type of guy that's gonna revamp the Lions. They're so far gone. It's almost like Michigan, where even like the home run hire, like somehow Jim Harbaugh couldn't figure it out. Is, it's like we need somebody that's just like lightning in a bottle. Maybe he's with us for a few years and then he leaves. But we need something, somebody, somebody like that.
1: Yeah, and we're gonna talk about Harbaugh and the Michigan program here in a little bit too. But uh, do you have you talked about the enemy, But is there anybody in what you just described like young, kind of name?
2: like a young college coach, like a, a Campbell from a Iowa State or? Or like a Joe Brady, just somebody who it's just such a flyer that it's it's gonna either gonna go really really well or absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. That's the point where we're at, and because we're in such a hole right now, there's really no like we got an aging quarterback who's really we weren't even sure in his prime if he was good enough to win a Super Bowl. So we got to deal with that. We got to deal with this like ever, just years and years, like fifty years of poor culture trying to like revamp it. We just need somebody that's like. A godlike figure. I don't know. That's Not somebody who's already tried and true. We kind of know basically what he is. Like lukewarm about. No, somebody that's either really good or really bad. Yeah,
1: I, I tend to agree with you on that. And again, I'm I'm the old guy here, but I'm all for bringing in some young blood and somebody that can really stir things up because that franchise needs a kick in the ass in the worst way. I mean, there's there's here, no worse. I'll just say this is what topic. I don't
2: want. I don't want to do what the Cowboys did, which is like a Mike McCarthy, No. a, a guy who sucks at coaching. But just because I like I don't know, he's like been in the league before and a coach before and somewhat had some success they bring him in like that's what I don't want that's so boring and it never works
3: yeah and, and especially like you brought up the Stafford situation like they're kind of in a weird spot with that because yeah he is he has at least like franchise QB talent you know obviously it hasn't quite all come together with the Lions but it's like what will whatever coach they bring in what will they want to do will they say like we got to try and move Stafford. Like I want to build the team around the quarterback that I bring in, or it's like I Stafford's 32. So it's like, right, he's he's starting to edge toward, you know, get towards that, that plateau where he's probably going to start to really decline. Mm-hmm. So it's like, are they going to bring in a guy that's like, yeah, I'm going to revamp my offense around Stafford or nope, we got to, figure out some way to trade him and I know his contract is like ridiculous right now but like Like, what will the coach say I mean and that might be something a coach might say like the only way I'm coming is if you trade Stafford and you know draft me a QB to, to build around so yeah I, I think whatever GM does come in or you know whoever comes in to run things they're gonna they, they've got like a lot of work cut out for them because Quinn kind of like ruined the, the roster trying to make it this whole Patriot way yeah. trading all these guys that he didn't like you know, now you're seeing all these former players tweeting and coming out and basically saying, like, finally and like throwing Patricia under the bus, basically. So it's like, man, you, know, you guys talking about culture, and we've talked about it a lot. The Lions culture is just terrible. So that's why maybe like bringing in a Spielman type guy to be president could change the culture, or like a Lewis Riddick to the be GM. They could really change the culture because it definitely needs to happen.
1: Yeah, I'd be okay with both those guys in those positions, you know. Uh, and again, to give Quinn one break, the only break I'll give him by going to the Patriots, he picked the wrong guy. He should have picked Vrabel, not Patricia. We could see that. That was painful Uh, from day one. Yeah,
3: that's like Vrabel, you know, he's a defensive-minded guy, but he's young. He's got that energy, and I think, you know, players respect him. Some of my friends, and I've seen some people throw out, uh, Brett Venables, he's the defensive coordinator at Clemson. You know, I don't know if he has, again, I don't know if he wants to come to the NFL and be a head coach, but that would maybe be a guy you know, like you said, like not, not just a recycled NFL guy that's just bounced around everywhere. That could be someone to throw a ton of money at if he wants to come to the NFL. But um, they, they need something to revitalize it. Because, yeah, if they if they just bring in another defensive coordinator-type guy like Patricia was, or, you know, like like a Marinelli-type guy, I, I just feel like what's there going to be to get excited about as a Lions fan?
1: Absolutely.
2: No, and that's why the, the one thing I'll just say that's the cracks me you know about the Vrabel and Patricia. Like, take one look at Vrabel. Take one look at Patricia. You right. nothing. You don't need to know anything about the resumes or anything. Just look at them and tell me who you think is a better coach. There's an like.
1: e- easy answer right there. But if you, even if you look at the resume, where did uh where did Patricia play college ball? Rensselaer or something. <laughs> he was a rocket scientist major or something. And yeah. then you have Vrabel. That was a stud in college. Was basically the captain of the Patriots' defense. Yeah. He played NFL football. I mean,
2: who, who are the players going to? Who are the players going to respect? Exactly. Exactly. This guy who looks like he couldn't even like run up, run a hundred yards on a football field, or this guy who looks like he could play in the NFL tomorrow, like
1: no doubt. Well, this is our Lions heavy three-point podcast. We'll have a little bit more. We're going to talk with our special guest coming up right after this, but I want to tell you about Nelson House Funeral Homes. Their top goal, that's to serve the families in our community. The number one priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. More info on the web at nelson-house.com. Also helping us out, Sheridan Auction Service. They always have a wide variety of items and real estate on the docket. Stay up to date by checking their website at sheridanauctionservice.com. And our go-to place when uh, COVID ends, that's Rivals Taphouse and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Yeah, keep supporting them by calling in your takeout orders. That's Rivals Taphouse and Grill in Corona at the corner of M21 and State Road. Well, next up on the pod, very timely with the Lions and their big news with Quinn and Patricia gone. We're going to be talking with Mike Vanderpool, who... If, About two or three years ago, decided he was going to put together a little documentary, and we're going to find out about that documentary, Heart of a Lions Fan. Mike, welcome to 3 Point Podcast.
4: Hey, guys. How's it going?
1: Well, it's going good, and I think we're all in agreement that at least the Lions pulled the trigger and, you know, opening the door for some future optimism, let's say.
4: Yeah, I'm still smiling. I don't know if Uh you uh, saw my video last night, but I did a little dance, and, Toasted a drink up to some of the former players who were tweeting about stuff, but uh, yeah, it's a it's 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 a good day to be a Lions fan, I guess.
1: Well, better than Thanksgiving Day in that debacle, <laughs> that's for sure.
4: Yeah, that was a hard watch. There've been a lot of hard watches lately.
1: Yep. Well, I wanted to ask you about your documentary. That's really what we got you on here for. And I was a little late to the to the table finding out about it. You, it, this has been in the works for quite some time, but uh, had a chance to watch it on Amazon and. Like everybody that listens to our podcast knows, I'm the old guy. I was born in 56, okay? So technically, I did see the Lions last championship, <laughs> even though I was still in diapers. But uh, you know, watching this franchise and how futile they've been. Uh, the one sniff we got was the 91 season, but you know, it's been a it's been just Kind of like the old Cubs fans, you know, it was always wait till next year. But with the Lions, wait till next year doesn't seem all that promising. Give us a little background on how you decided to put this documentary together.
4: I've been a Lions fan since probably 91. Um, Didn't become really a hardcore fan until college. You know, my grandfather and my my dad weren't really hardcore fans, so nobody around me was uh, hardcore. And then when I had my son, I think that was 2015, must have been, the Lions, like, were actually doing really well. Uh, We beat Green Bay. We beat the Eagles on Thanksgiving. We actually, I mean, we destroyed the the Eagles uh, on that Thanksgiving Day game in 2015. I remember watching it in my father-in-law's barn. Just amazing, right? Yep. I uh, had always had some kind of back and forth with whether or not, you know, why I was a Lions fan, my intensity about being a fan. And when we lost in overtime to Green Bay, or was it in the regulation? Sorry, on the Hail Mary, Green Bay, I I stopped and I looked at my, you know, my infant son and I'm like, do I really want to raise this kid to be a Lions fan? (laughs) So I shot like a quick little two minute, three minute promo uh, of him, basically a voiceover with some footage of him. And then that sat kind of on the shelf for about a year uh, after that. Finally showed that clip over to Matt Derry. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know who Matt is. You know, Locked on Lines podcast. There's yep. a whole bunch of stuff. He you owns know, Detroit Radio. And uh, he said, he's like, dude, you got to do something with this thing. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I talked to a producer friend of mine. I uh, talked to uh, Matt Barth over at Riot Film, uh, who, you know, does, does some pretty amazing video production work. And I got together and said, hey, let's just do this. So 2016 season, I believe, we just started going out and interviewing people, going to tailgates, hanging out, and trying to understand like, why on earth, through all of the nonsense, are we even still Lions fans? Yeah.
2: And that's kind of what the film explores. So you talk to, obviously, a lot of different Lions fans. Is there one that sticks out to you as maybe the biggest Lions fan that you know, maybe the biggest Lions fan in the world?
4: Not really, because to pick one is really hard, right? Like, you've got You've got, like, uh, Ron Crackiola, Crack Man. He's probably the most recognizable, mm-hmm. right? He's got his overalls, cut off overalls, and who loves you, baby, all that kind of stuff. He's at every game, and, and he's, the, he's the typical, hey, we'll get him next time type guy. He's yep, never yep. seen actually down about a loss. Um, then we've got uh, Kevin Lawson. He's in our film. I actually met him through Freddie the Pizza Man, who was also pretty instrumental in, in helping to put this documentary together. And, you know, his story about his relationship with his dad and what it meant for him. It's just pretty amazing. So I mean, we're all different. You know not a, not all the fans dress up in the crazy costumes. Some of us, you know, just ranting on Twitter. but it's just an amazing group of fans when when you really look at it. like that was one of the you know, not to give it away, but one of the conclusions to the to the film is is the reason why we're all still fans is because it's such a cool family atmosphere when we when we hang out and we all share this kind of hope of things being better for us you know, in the future as Lions
1: fans. As they say, misery loves company, and if you're a Lions fan, you have plenty of misery, right?
4: Well, yeah, there's, you know, that was the original premise for the film was uh, I thought about going and talking to psychiatrists and psychologists (laughs) and stuff like that and being like, why are people Lions fans? Is it because they're optimists or because they're masochists? Mm -hmm. And I really think that based on, especially, you know, recent history with Patricia and Quinn the best part about being a Lions fan outside of just the community of fans is this idea of hope, right? And over the past at least a couple of games, if not a couple of years, there hasn't been much hope for Lions fans. Like, I know people, you know, Lawson, Kevin, and I used to go, uh, we'd share season tickets, and he quit buying them this past year. He's like, I'm not buying them. I'm done. I'm, I'm done going to games. Well, I should say he's done buying season tickets until the team actually does something differently talking to a whole bunch of other fans over the past couple, you know, months, days, whatever, like there was a real, like, just, we were all pretty much beat up and hopeless. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the firing of Quinn and Patricia has given us all hope. And that's, that's sometimes the best you can get being a Lions fan. One thing I
3: always think of when, when I talk to my friends, because I have a lot of friends and, and coworkers ask, like, how are you still a Lions fan? Basically what, what you're talking about, you know, living and going through this year after year after year And I think I always say, like I think part of it too is the family aspect. And you know, I mean, I've been a Lions fan my whole life, so I almost feel like I'm not going to quit on them now, because I feel like if once I quit on them, that's going to be when they turn it around, and then it's not cool to jump back on the bandwagon. But I think part of it too is the pride factor and the Detroit. You know, you're talking about hope, and you know, people who are from Michigan, especially from Detroit, have that pride to tell people they're from Michigan, they're from from Detroit you know, all the people always bash Michigan, bash Detroit. But there's a pride factor with the hope and wanting to turn things around and stuff like that. So do you think that part of it is big, too, being proud to be from Detroit or from Michigan?
4: A hundred percent, right? I mean, it's funny because we'll we'll uh, uh, crap on our own team and, and, and stuff like that, but anybody else comes and talks junk about us and, and we've got a problem. Same thing with the city of Detroit, right? Like uh, Detroit kind of gets a bad rap, has for years at least been, you know, throughout most of my lifetime but Detroit I mean, they're the reason that this country is as great as it, as, as it is, right? Uh-huh. I mean, the automotive industry and everything that they've done you know, uh, we, our sports teams have won championships we've been a part of history there's a lot of stuff a lot of pride that we all have and I think that yeah, that for me uh, when I've tried to quit the team I haven't been able to right i I call myself an addict, right There's been times where I've tried to walk away, but I still turn it on and still pay attention. It has to be something deeper than just you know the wins and losses because if we're here for if we're here for wins. What the hell are we even still doing here? Because we don't have too many of
2: those. So what did you end up deciding, or what did your son end up deciding? Because I know when I was growing up, uh, I had family ties to Pittsburgh, and because, like you said, the Lions suck and there isn't many wins to have there, I was trying to always like try to kind of force myself to be a Steelers fan. It just didn't quite work. I'm kind of a Lions fan, you know, whether I like it or not. So what is the deal with your son?
4: Uh, there was really no chance for him not to be a Lions fan. Uh, yeah. My wife is a Lions fan. You know, they and asking the question was, was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I mean, or whether or not it was going to happen, right? I mean, it, 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 there was the potential that, as I did this movie, that there would have been enough kind of stuff that came up to be like, yeah, you're an idiot for raising your son to be a Lions fan. Yeah. But honestly, throughout all the conversations with everybody, the hanging out, the stories from dads who had great stories about their kids and from from kids who had great stories about their dad and grandfather based around, like, their fandom of the Lions. I mean, there there really isn't any hope, right, or any choice other than raising my son to be a Lions fan.
1: Yeah, you got to, and, I mean, I fall right in that same category. I mean, Jared's 21. You know, I'm 64, but my dad's still alive. He's 90. And I still, yeah. some some of my early memories of watching pro football was in the mid-60s. You know, the, 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 the marquee teams were, you know, the Packers and the Colts, Johnny Unitas. But, you know, a lot of people forget. Lions in the mid-60s with Karras and Lem Barney and Charlie Sanders, some of those guys, they were a very competitive team, which is not the case nowadays. But being a young kid, you know, watching the Lions, especially uh, the road games because I think they still had blackouts in effect for the home games in those days, uh, they were a very competitive team. And I, and I learned to love the Lions just by sitting on the couch in my basement with my dad, you know, watching the Lions. And that that's how it all started.
4: Yep. And I, similar for me, right, like uh, I remember watching games 91 season, I remember watching games at Thanksgiving. I wouldn't say I was a real hard – I wasn't a, a diehard fan then, but that's when it was really the seed was planted in me around all those family gatherings, you know, watching. I remember remember back in – this must have been in, what, the the 80s when Monday Night Football was on ABC and then MacGyver would be on before that.
2: Yeah.
4: It would, like, yeah. sometimes preempt the game, and I'd get so freaking mad. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
4: But I don't know if the Lions ever played on Monday night back then, but I just remember like, that was, that's when I started to love football, even though I never played it really uh, out, you know, in organized sports. I played it out in the, out in the backyard and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, I, I fell in love with football, I think, because, one, it's not, a, it's not a big commitment, right? They play 16 games a year. You don't have to pay attention every day like you do with some of the other sports. But it's just a really cool team sport. It's got a real great atmosphere around it. Um, and, it's, and it's really, you know, all about being resilient. Stuff's not going to go g- great in life. And you know what? If everybody just packs up their bags and go, goes home, what kind of lesson is that for me to leave for my kids? No, I think that's spot on. And, you know, it, you,
3: there, there is such a family, you know, whether you're tailgating, whether you're watching on Thanksgiving, whether you're just watching with your dad or, you know, your uncles or whatever, there's such a family aspect to watching the Lions or just football in general. One thing that's cool about our podcast, we've, we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, is the three-generation aspect. You know, Jared being younger, I'm kind of the middle guy, and then Ted, the older guy. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot with Michigan football. Like, Jared basically hasn't really seen much success from Michigan football. I, I got to see some, you know, through the 90s and stuff, the national title. Ted's been watching for a long time. It's kind of similar with the Lions. Like, I look back, and you almost forget. I mean, the by first, you're talking about what made you fall in love. With the Lions, my first memory of watching the Lions was obviously Barry Sanders when he came in. So obviously that's why I initially, he's my favorite football player ever. But I look back and, you know, you mentioned the 91 season, the last season they won a playoff game. They made the playoffs in 93, 94, 95, 97, and 99. Now they didn't win any playoff games then, but they were making the playoffs, you know, fairly consistently there through the 90s, mostly maybe Mm -hmm. because of Barry Sanders. But, you know, they did have a little success there in the 90s. And then obviously now, you know, they've, they've kind of fallen off a little bit. So we were talking about earlier, you know, you know, moving on from Quinn and Patricia and people have been talking about Jim Caldwell. Maybe they jumped the gun on firing Jim Caldwell. He did make the playoffs twice, didn't win a game, obviously, in the playoffs. But kind of where do you stand? Do you think they kind of jumped the gun on Caldwell?
4: And then what direction do you think they, they should go with their next head coach? I was not a Caldwell fan. You know, he didn't run the ball like I wanted him to. Uh, horrible time out management. You know, like just I think he's a great leader of men. Um, but if you look back at his kind of his career, right there some warning flags. I think I think he was the guy to take us to similar to what uh, you know Tampa Bay. I lived in I lived in Tampa uh, or in Florida when uh, you know they went from Dungey to um, Gruden. I just think that Patricia was an awful choice. I mean, I don't know yeah. if you read Mikey's article today. You know, it kind of summed up all of the warning signs about Patricia um, from day one. But I think that that was just, Bob Quinn screwed that up. You never, never hire family is kind of what I, what I say. Going forward, I would like to see Lewis Riddick. I agree with Matt Derry about Lewis Riddick uh, coming in and, you know, being a general manager. As for the coach, I don't even know. You know, Eric Bieniemy gets thrown out there a lot. There's a bunch of other guys that you know. I don't pay attention to all of football to even know what's available. But what I will say is, is I hear some people asking for Spielman to be involved, and I, I really don't want Spielman involved. God bless him, but I think you know we saw it with the Tigers and Alan Trammell. Sometimes having people who are too close just make it that much harder to to do things with them and let them go. Right. Not everybody's gonna be Joe Dumars and have that success, but we saw what even happened later on then, right? We might have held on to Dumars a little too long when the when the game might have might have passed Mm -hmm. passed him by. I just you know what, I just wanna see a competitive football team, right? That's that's the bottom line. I mean, I want my team to go out there and play hard. And yeah, you're not gonna win every game, right? If you're fifth if you're five hundred in the NFL over a span of a decade, that's fairly successful, right? I mean, not every team can win a Super Bowl. But at least being competitive, I mean, we haven't had that since Caldwell. I just want the people that are going to, like, get us to that point where we're somewhat relevant. And, you know, we're in the hunt. Like, even last week and the last two games, we've been in the hunt discussion. Not really. Not thing but that it watches the team. No. We were out of the playoffs by the bye week, which yeah. is probably when they should have got rid of Patricia.
2: I wish they had, but uh, let's end this on a little bit more of a positive note. What's maybe your favorite Lions uh, memory that you've had uh, over the past, like, 30 years or so that you've been a fan?
4: Honestly, the best Lions memory I have of you know, in general is being able to watch my, that documentary and the end scene with my son. Yeah. Like, that, for me, is it. Now, with, when it comes to, like, the games themselves – it's hilarious, right? Because every great memory I have is like almost immediately followed by, by a terrible one. Here. It's like 91. I remember winning against Dallas, right? I remember watching that game and, and that feeling. But then the week after, Washington comes in and just obliterates us. And there was like from the very beginning of that game, it was like, wow, we're just destroyed here. Uh, when Patricia's first game. Remember the, I think it was Glover Quinn had the pick six, very first play of the game. And I'm sitting there. Well, I'm at that game, high-fiving. This is our year. Blah blah blah. And then immediately after that, it's just like roller coaster, demon drop down to the end of the game, where I'm still sitting there, looking around at the stadium where the Jets fans are saying Jets, Jets, Jets. And I'm looking around and being like, What are these? What are these Lions fans still still doing here at the end of the game? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm here too. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I. I, I don't know, man. It's it, That's the problem, right? Like, I don't have one thing yeah. in my mind that really <laughs> sticks out as a great thing inside of a game because usually the great things or the most memorable things are the times we either got job by the refs, yeah. right, and, and things like that. And I think that's one of the things that happened with, with Patricia is, like, it stopped being about other things being the ones that cost us the game, you know, cost us the game, right? where it was us costing us the game ourselves, and that became hard to stomach.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's a perfect encapsulation of being an Alliance fan is where you start a thought on like positive memories and it just ends up reverting back <laughs> yeah. to Patricia and how much he sucks. It, totally. The, <laughs> the,
4: the positive thing out of all this fan is that I, the people that I interviewed in the documentary, I know that you know, once COVID is t- is taken care of and we can start tailgating again, yeah. I'll go to that same spot I met that person and talked to that person five years ago, and I'll go there and I'll talk to him like they're my best friend. That's awesome. That's, that's what this thing, whole thing's about, man. That's you know, our that's else. our
1: brotherhood right there. Before we let you go, I had a couple general questions. You know, Jared's looking to get into the media world. Uh, he he graduated from Grand Valley this last year. Just general questions that maybe some of our listeners might be curious about. Like, you know, when you put something together like this, and you had some pretty, you had the local guys, the tailgaters, but you had some other. Kind of big names, and George Blah, Frank Beckman, Steve Courtney, some of those guys getting their comments. It costs money to do something like this. How did you raise funds to get this produced?
4: Most of it came out of out of pocket. I was I was fortunate enough. Um, the Brad Burkhart uh, producer on the film, instrumental in this whole thing as well. Uh, his, his father Rick Burkhart, who's in the documentary, uh, owe him a huge, huge thank you. He works at WJR. So he was able to make some of those connections for us, right? Perfect, yeah. I mean, we, we sat down with Mitch Album two or three times to talk about uh, what we were doing. So, you know, I, it's just like everything in life, right? A lot of preparation and a lot of luck. And we got lucky, but we also worked really, really hard. I ran a Kickstarter just to get the first batch of DVDs produced. But, you know, even Matt Barth, the producer, we paid him a little bit for renting the equipment, but he worked basically for free on this thing you know, that's just kind of, if, if you're going to do anything in media, the expectation of making money on it, but right? you guys know as people who do podcasts, it, it's hard to make money in this game. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of competition. you got to do something that you love, and you got to do something that you want to talk about and would do without getting paid for it because those that's kind of the, the price you have to pay to pay your dues, for lack of a better phrase to say. It. And, and, and maybe get lucky, right? Who knows? NFL Films might call me tomorrow and be like, hey, We'd like to buy your documentary for X amount of dollars. And all of a sudden, you know, I've, I have I, I can pay everybody back at all for making the thing in the first place.
1: Wow. Well, it's a labor of love for sure. I guess my final question, kind of along these lines, it's now available on Amazon, Amazon Prime, uh, for free. Yep. What, what kind of deal do you have to do there to get your, your film on Amazon?
4: It, it's, it's honestly really simple. You'll sign up for an account through, I think it's videocentral.amazon.com. It might actually be linked to your traditional Amazon account, and you basically upload your media and your art, and you know check some boxes, and, and it's good to go. It's not. It's honestly not that difficult. We had looked at the um, traditional distribution route, but man, this uh, film, media, music—it's all a freaking—it's hmm. a—it's a scary business to get involved with. Luckily, right now, you can do a lot of the stuff yourself just with a little bit of googling.
1: Do you, do you get a penny or two every time somebody clicks on it on Amazon? I mean, do you get something out of it?
4: I think it's .0, 0 and don't quote me on this, but it's like point zero four cents cents per minute somebody watches.
1: Okay. Huh. Well, so, so <laughs> yeah, I you, watched the whole thing, so there's 57 yeah. cents, man. <laughs> You're in the yeah, dough. Yeah,
4: yeah. so uh, <laughs> you, nobody gets rich making documentary films, <laughs> but uh yeah, it, it, you know, uh, 100 years, and I'll probably recoup what I put into it.
1: There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I was talking off air to the fellas, and, you know, I said it was really well done. The only thing I would have liked to have seen, and I understand probably why it wasn't in there, was maybe some clips of, you know, Barry yeah. Sanders. But, I mean, that's virtually impossible to get permission to do that, isn't it?
4: Um, It's not impossible. It just costs a fortune. Yeah. Uh, we'd actually, we'd actually, we had a meeting with the Lions. Uh-huh a couple meetings with the Lions to see if they would want to help support us, you know, make some contacts to NFL Films for us so we could maybe get, you know, use of the footage or something. And that never, that never panned out. But, like, even I wanted to use some Motown music for the film. Right. It it cost, cost me $10,000 a pop Yikes. At, at, the, at, the, at a minimum, right, that's per crazy. song. So, yeah, and I, I would love, I, and that's why when we released it, what's released right now, I've called the Die Hard Fan Cut. Mm-hmm. because there was always the hope that we'd be able to get NFL footage and the music that we wanted and finish it, like, I don't, I'm going to say the right way, but, you uh-huh. know, the way I really wanted it to. But I felt like we needed to get this out to fans as soon as possible, and that's what this is. This is, if you're a diehard Lions fan, you should probably watch this thing at least once. Yep, it hit home that's... to me. <laughs>
1: Definitely. It's called Heart of Alliance Fan. And again, uh, it's on Amazon currently. And where can our listeners uh, catch up with you, Mike?
4: I'm pretty active on Facebook. Just search for Heart of Alliance Fan and you'll find us on Facebook. You know, you can see a a video of me doing some silly dancing and stuff yesterday after I heard he was...
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't really don't like give dollar. up. Don't give up your career for a dancing career. I can just tell you that.
4: <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, that's really where I try to stay uh, mostly active. I used to have a Twitter account for it, but man, Twitter is kind of painful for lions. Can be painful for Lions fans. It's it's it can get pretty gross.
1: All right, well, uh, so Mike.
4: Facebook's where I hang out, Heart of a Lions fan.
1: All right, well, we'll keep spreading the word here. Mike Vanderpool, thanks for uh, spending some time with us here on this 3-Point Podcast. We appreciate it.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thank you, thank you, guys. Appreciate yep. appreciate your time.
1: All right, that was fun with Mike. Uh, you know, for all the diehard Lion fans out there, definitely check out his documentary, Heart of a Lions Fan, on Amazon. Well, we'll have some college football talk next, right after this. Hankard Sportswear, the area's top clothing and more printing business. They're located in the heart of Owasso at 116 West Exchange Street. Follow them on Facebook at Hankard.Sportswear. Also, Advanced Elevator Company. They have expert field technicians for troubleshooting, repair, and installation of elevators. An area business leader and a huge time supporter of Corona's public schools. Speaking of Corona, the coronaconnection.com. They know it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at coronaconnection.com. Well, fellas, You know, we didn't give Michigan State any airtime at all last week. I don't know if you noticed that, and I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with what went on in Ann Arbor, but we will talk some MSU football. I mean, this season just continues to astound me with Harbaugh and the Wolverines. I mean... I I set it up last week. I didn't come right out and say Penn State was going to win, but I had a pretty good feeling. That's what was it was almost happen.
2: like. It's it was weird how basically from every you can tell when this team's going to lose, like basically right as the game starts because they they remind me a lot of the Lions where they it's almost like their hearts never in it, and then the the one loans as soon as Cade McNamara went down. <laughs> Like, we knew – and even though he came back in, it just wasn't the same sort of thing. We realized sort of like, all right, the Rutgers game was kind of a flash in the pan. This guy is a mediocre quarterback. Like, he's not the he's not the answer for us. Yeah, and I'm I think not, the team I'm kind of realized that, that too. I, mean,
3: I think he definitely – I don't know if he is going to be, like, Big Ten Player of the Year type type quarterback, but, I mean, he clearly was hurt.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, his,
3: his shoulder – he couldn't even, like, lift his arm up and take his chin strap off. So, you know, I, but like you said, like, once he got hurt, I think all the wind went out of the sails because – I think that's just what this whole season has been. Like, you know, we've talked about it obviously a lot, like all the hype around Joe Milton coming in. Big win over Minnesota. Oh, my God, Joe Milton looks amazing. This, this might be the year. And then, boom, or Michigan State puts an ass-whooping on Michigan, and it just seemed like all the energy came out of the team. And then a few weeks later, Cade McNamara comes in, and maybe it's like, okay, cool. Maybe these next few weeks we'll have a little energy. We might build on something. And boom, he gets hurt, like, in the first quarter. And it's just like, again, like you said, it's. I think it's been that a problem with Michigan, maybe just mostly recently, like with Harbaugh, because that's what we're talking about, like a snowball effect. Once one thing starts going bad, it's like another thing. Like, once McNamara got hurt, you could almost see it. I mean, they ended up scoring on that drive, but then the defense was still just like, you know, he runs to the locker room to get x-rays. And that's what, you know, you can just tell, like, the defense is the energy is out of the game, and they're just... Giving up big runs and they're letting their Penn State quarterbacks run around like they're Johnny Manziel or Lamar Jackson yeah. or something.
2: Sean it's just
3: like it, it's a snowball effect. It's like when they play Ohio State, you can tell once one thing starts going Ohio State's way, it just snowballs, and then they're losing by sixty points. And it, it, that's you know we were texting a little bit last night or whatever, but the effort. I mean, you you kind of mentioned it. The effort is the biggest thing to me because it's like you can get outplayed or you can be in a battle or you can get, you know, Ohio state kind of has like more talent right now. So, you know, some of that stuff, you know, it's almost like whatever, but the effort part, that's what bothers me. Like when you can sit there and watch and you can see receivers running routes, like they're just jogging or you can see missed tackles and you can see linemen getting pushed around and stuff. It just, it seems like they're checked out. It seems like they're just happy to be there, not paying tuition and they're waiting to get to the NFL. And it's just, it it makes it really tough to watch.
2: It's, it's funny, and I, I don't want to keep reverting back to Joe Milton, but for that little bit he was in, my God, he looked horrible. And that's almost like the biggest indictment of Harbaugh is how in the world did we have all this hype leading up to this guy? How he was so awesome? How he was this good? I know we t- kind of joked how well. Yeah, he probably looked good in shorts. No, there's no way he did. He's so inaccurate. It's almost like unbelievable that he was ever like the starting quarterback at Michigan. It's 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 hilarious how inaccurate he is. Well,
1: not to pile on, but yeah, I mean we we've seen enough of his throwing, which. It's, glaring, it's got a comical. There's glaring weakness there, but to see a guy of that size and still twinkle toe around trying to get yardage instead of using that big frame and just going full bore, you can tell he just doesn't want to get hit.
3: Yeah, I don't know if something. I mean, clearly it seems like it, we talked about it last week. It seems like his confidence is just completely shot because, like, he came out with that first drive and the first the first throw makes a great throw, yeah, with ten yard completion, and it's like, okay. But then like the rest of that drive, I honestly, I'm not taking a shot at you, Jared. I think you yeah. could have made better throws out there than he was. Cause no. It was just like, what, what is he doing? And then you're right, Ted, like he had a scramble on one of the drives he was in where he ran for like eight or nine yards, but there was like, there was a, it, it seemed like there was a scene where he could have like made a hard cut and at least got two or three more yards or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said. he just kind of like twinkle toed, kind of shoved a dude and went out of bounds and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like take a shot and be like, I, I would have like trucked that guy and gained five more yards or something because we're not out there playing. But right when you see a dude 6'5", 245, and he can't even like do a QB sneak and gain half a yard, it's just like, I don't, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or, or what, but it's just, it's disappointing and it does just seem like these guys must just, I mean, they're they're looking two weeks down the road and seeing Ohio State on the schedule and they must just be like. Get us the hell out of this season. Like, like let's just get done.
1: Pray for this COVID. Because
3: it looks
0: bad.
4: Yeah.
2: No, man, it's funny you say that because legit during the game, I had a, probably a two minute discussion in my brain on whether or not I was more accurate than Milton. Like, just obviously, I don't have the arm power, but like, just, and I know it's kind of like, obviously, I'm probably not. But oh, I the think thought you was, was kind of, it was like in my head, like, dude, this guy, like, hitch routes and slants, he's like missing them by a mile. Like, I don't think I would have been that far off.
1: I would compare your game, Jared, since we're going to get right into it. More of McNamara's, really. I mean, McNamara throws a pretty good ball. He does, you know. Maybe he doesn't throw a a 65-yarder, but he throws a good ball. Yeah. And even even with a bum bum shoulder,
3: he still made some good throws. But you could tell. I'm curious to see see what comes out. Like, do they have a separated shoulder? I mean, he probably wouldn't be playing – with a separated shoulder, but something was clearly up. Yeah. The dude's arm was just, like, dangling there. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear, like, what comes out from the medical reports. But, yeah, like, on those first couple drives when he was actually, like, healthy, I guess, it seemed like we were almost, like, in for a shootout because Penn State was just moving the ball like it was nothing. And Michigan actually was running the ball well with Haskins. Then they get back to their stupid running back rotation where he he gains like, 74 yards in those first couple drives and then doesn't touch the field for, like, two or three drives. And it's just like, what, where's Haskins? This dude is, like, crushing it right now. Why is he off the field? And then McNamara gets hurt, and Milton comes in and starts throwing it up through the scoreboard at the big house. And it's like, <laughs> dude, what? I, it's just like, what is going on? And then you see the report. I don't know if you guys saw. I tweeted it out. Someone, um, I forget what it was like with the Wolverine Digest or something, uh, they were sitting behind the bench watching the game, but oh. also watching Harbaugh and everything going on. And – but part of it, it was just they were, like, talking about the energy on the sidelines and everything. And there was one paragraph in there that just stood out, and there was that deep ball that McNamara actually hit, to A.J. Henning, gaining like, I don't know, whatever, 25, 30 yards. That like, a pretty good pretty good play. But in, in the article, it talks about that when that play happened, Harbaugh had to turn around, and he looked at the bench, the guy sitting on the bench, and no one was up. Everyone was just sitting there. No, There was no energy. And Harbaugh had to, like, scream at the guys and say, like, get up, like, we just had a huge play. Cheer! That's like that's terrible. I mean, I don't I don't care if you're an 0 7 team or someone something playing in the AAC or playing in the MAC or something like. Man, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my my pride because I feel like if I played for Michigan, I'd be excited no matter what. But it's like how are, how does Harbaugh have to turn around and scream at the players to get excited about a big play? That's that's not a good look,
2: especially when you remember the post Rutgers game uh, speech where. None of the games in the past mattered. You know, it was a clean slate for these guys. And if they won the rest of their games, no one would give a shit what happened in the past. But, yeah, it was a fa- it was a fake. It's fake. It, they're, like, you don't like rooting for these this team. There's nobody on this team that I, like, love. You know, there's yeah. <laughs> there's literally, legitimately not one player that I love.
1: You know, you're talking about the, the, the getting excited, you know, getting fired up. And, and I'm not going to use this as any kind of real excuse, but there's got to be a factor when there's no fans there. I mean it's it's basically like a glorified scrimmage, you know. Yeah, you're wearing the uniform and and you're playing another team, but man, the feel definitely has to has to be from the gut and they don't have that going right now.
3: Yeah, it's the it's the number one thing and you, that you add on your resume or when you're in a job interview, like the one thing you, that everyone always says, I'm self-motivated. You know, that's like the one thing you add on your resume or you know, yep. like in your cover letter, you tell it you like a Uh, in a job interview you're self-motivated that's what bothers me obviously coaching is huge coaches have to get these guys amped up get them prepared and everything like that but how are these guys not like out there saying but being self-motivated how are they not out there saying like i'm playing for michigan right now some of these guys may be playing to prove themselves to like have a starting gig next season or if they are like in the position to go to the nfl draft how are you not like self-motivated enough to go out there and like bust your ass and play as hard as you can and not just look like idiots out there. Like they, they, look like they look like they shouldn't even have two wins this season. Right. And it's just it's really frustrating to watch because there is a lot of talent on the team. They, you know, they do have injuries and a couple opt outs. Um, so it's not like an excuse, but so some of the top players are out. But there's still talent on the team, and they look like they look like a team that should be like playing in the GLIAC or something, not taking a shot at the GLIAC. But, you know, they don't look like a Power 5, Big Ten team.
1: No, and, and you know, we talk about the offense with McNamara and Milton, some of the others, but when you look at that defense, and, and when you play defense, I play defense, I mean, it's all about desire. And... These guys, they're one of the worst tackling teams I think I've ever seen. I mean, it's like you know, they don't want to hit anybody. They don't want to wrap them up. And if I was Don Brown or on that defensive coaching staff, you know, if I saw that one time where some guy didn't make an effort and try to make a tackle, I'd put the second stringer in. If that didn't work out, I'd put the third stringer in.
2: These guys are all on scholarship. Here's here's the problem. I don't know who the recruiting coordinator is, but are we li- – like we talk about the coaching and this, but it- – I think more of it is honestly just, like, the recruiting. These players are bad. They're all bad. They're all bad. Like, there's really, like I said, like I was saying, there's nobody I love. There's no one on this field who I feel like is, like, a really good player. It's just we've lost a lot of guys. Like, obviously, we've recruited well in the past. All these guys going to the draft. It's like it just feels like this year it's just like a talent depletion.
1: There's no one there. Well, will we all agree with this? I don't know if we all will, but this is my statement. It's pretty obvious to me. Michigan State's a better team. We didn't think so. We thought maybe it was a fluke, but Michigan State's a better team than Michigan. They got they got more motivation. Maybe man for man they're not better. I don't know, but they, they seem might to be. be. They might be. Yeah.
3: I think the the word you're using, better team, is definitely true because they play better as a team. Yeah, maybe like on paper. Michigan might have, you know, better recruits or some, you know, guys that will actually play in the NFL or something, but yeah, the better team for sure, because they're out there fighting and they're out there beating top 10 team. They already, you know, they, they put it to Michigan, made Michigan look like a JV team or something. Yeah. I think definitely they, they play with a chip on their shoulder and that's something that, you know, you wonder about with Michigan, are, are guys going there just almost as like a bridge to the NFL? Like, cool, let's go to Michigan. Yeah. Like, you know, we're going to get coached by Harbaugh and you know, play play in the big house, but really, we're just going there to play for a couple of years and go go to the NFL. Whereas, like guys go to like Rutgers, Rutgers is out there fighting uh, Indiana, you know, with Tom Allen coaching them, Michigan State, and they actually want to like play and fight for that school and with a chip on their shoulder, prove themselves. I was I was only a two or three star recruit. I want to prove that I'm a better player, you know, something like that, because that's what you see showing up. I mean, when you look at it, it's like how. <laughs> I really wonder, like, how Michigan would do against Northwestern. And Michigan State just beat Northwestern. You know, you wonder how the game would go if Michigan played Northwestern.
1: They'd oh. get drilled.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and I, I you got to give credit, and I think our Spartan fans got to be pretty happy with Mel Tucker right now because we're talking about it. The, the game of football, it is a team sport, and they're playing as a team. They may not have the greatest players in the world. By golly, Rocky Lombardi, though he's he's fiery and. Seems to have some respect in that locker room, and Tucker seems to have the right mojo on the sideline. And you know, uh, Michigan's got some real decisions to be to be made.
2: Really. Yeah, I, I think we. Got, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm all out on Don Brown. I'm fine, 100 percent fine if he's if he's gone. I don't know if it's his fault or not, but it's crazy how we go from loving that guy, like calling him Doctor Blitz and stuff, to the point where it's it's just he's horrible. Well, that's that
1: brings up and, the big question. Well, you know, fellas, is what what at this point? You know, at this juncture. Looking at the Wolverines, you know, we've already had plenty of Harbaugh discussions. I mean, if he stays, if he does stay for another year, he's got to have two new coordinators, doesn't he?
3: Yeah. You're
2: yeah, out I on Gaddis now, Michigan's huh?
3: Michigan's in such a weird spot because he has, he has one more year on his deal, so like next season, and people always talk about that's like a death sentence for a college coach because how do you recruit saying that you only have one year on your deal? You don't even know if you're going to be there for a year. So Michigan, it's almost like they have to move on. After this season, I don't think they're going to fire him. I don't think they would ever fire Harbaugh. It might be like a mutual uh, split or whatever, or if he's going to go to the NFL. But, right, if, if they're bringing him back, you have to clean house with the coordinators because I don't know how you can justify bringing Harbaugh back. They, they would have to give him some sort of extension and saying we're going to still bring back Don Brown, whose defense is just getting absolutely cooked. Or and even Josh Gaddis, then the offense doesn't look like they're doing a whole lot. Like, so, yeah, if if they bring back Harbaugh, I think you almost have to basically fire everyone on the staff and hire all new coordinators, and I don't even know, you know, who who they would go after and and for those positions. But I don't – it's tough because, you know, like Bill Parcells, he has that famous line, like, you are what your record says you are. And I know I've said, like, I, I, I'm still in support of Harbaugh being the head coach. I just wonder if they're at the point where, like, if they make a bad hire, like what the Lions did with Patricia, they would send the program back five, seven years. Or, like, do they just need to hire better coordinators to get them over the top? I mean, Harbaugh, he's 2-12 two and, two and versus top ten teams, 3-3 three three versus Michigan State, 3-3 three three versus Penn State, obviously the 0-5 versus Ohio State, and he's 11-16 versus ranked teams. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I sit here and I say, like, I'm in support of Harbaugh, but when you look at those records, I mean, Ted, I think you could go down there on the sidelines and probably coach Michigan to at least those records, right?
1: Oh, without a doubt.
3: With, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's getting a little harder to, like, support Harbaugh. See,
1: the thing is, in college football, you know, and we're not going to go on too much longer on this, but the head coach, you got to have two good coordinators, and the head coach has got to be basically the CEO. Yeah, he's got to make some in-game decisions, but it's really all about how your your coordinators prepare the team. They're totally unprepared. At this point, I I wouldn't lose any sleep if they part ways with Harbaugh. You know, do it just rip it off between it's the two. It's almost like of a band
2: aid. We're almost stretching it out. We I think we all deep down kind of realize that this just it it's not somehow didn't work. Yeah, I, we don't know why, but it just didn't work.
1: And part of it, don't you guys? Don't you guys agree? Uh, when you watch Harbaugh on the sidelines, is he just? doesn't seem to have that fire that's needed, you know. You see these big-time coaches, they're totally into the game. Harbaugh yeah. kind of looks a little lost, and I, I don't know what the reason is behind it. He wasn't always that way. No.
3: You see video, like I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, Dan Mullen, uh, Florida's head coach, was absolutely reaming his, his defensive yes. coordinator. Like Florida was kind of getting like pushed around a little bit, and they, they cut the video of Dan Mullen screaming at his defensive coordinator, And, you know, you've obviously seen Saban do the same thing to his coordinators. And I don't – I mean, not that we see everything Harbaugh does, but it doesn't seem like he – you know, I don't know if he doesn't hold his coordinators accountable like that or what. But, um, yeah, I don't know if he's lost his fire or what. But the thing I would like to see – maybe I'll, like, leave it on this. I'd be happy to see them give him, like, a three – I don't know if they would do this. Like, a three- or five-year extension, but with, like, a school-friendly buyout. Like, only – like a $300,000, 500000 buyout. Because, you know, like you if saw, Will they fire camp got fired yep. and he had a $15 million buyout. So he's he's sitting pretty right now. He got paid $15 million to wow. go away. So you're not going to do that. Give him a three or five year extension. So you're telling recruits like, okay, this is our coach. He's going to be here, but give, make it like a $300,000 buyout, $500,000 buyout. And basically tell him like, if you don't, if you don't fix this in a year or two, then we're just going to buy you out. You know what I mean? Because, I just I, I wonder if they make the wrong hire, if they're going to send the program back like they did with
1: Rich Rod. I hope not.
2: And I'll just say this about, I mean, we kind of, you know, obviously glossed over Michigan State a little bit. I, Mel Tucker, I love this guy. I, I wish I hated him. I really do. But I, I like everything he says, even after they beat Northwestern, he said, you know you're not going to change culture overnight this was like kind of a basically a flash in the pan like this shows what we're capable of but we're still have the same culture that we had when i basically came in so i just like that he said that that basically it wasn't like oh look what i did it's yep. more of a kind of this was a little bit lucky and just northwestern obviously wasn't the 18 eight, number 8 team in the country like if we really think about it, like they had one win over Wisconsin. We're still not even sure how good Wisconsin is. And they had some close games. And some well. close wins against other Big Ten teams. But they're a top-20 team, I'll say that 100%. And yet again, Michigan State and Mel Tucker shows they're basically in a better spot than Michigan right now, which if you would have told me at the start of the year that that would be the case at this point, I, I literally would have bet a million dollars that that wouldn't have been the case. Yep.
1: Well, we'll see what happens down the road, but – uh Boy, just sad situation in Ann Arbor right now. Um, before we wrap up this podcast, I wanted to just throw this out at you, Matt. I see you watched Tyson and Jones last night, did you? I did, yeah. Give us a little breakdown of that.
3: I mean, honestly, I, like, I, Mike Tyson looks like he could probably win the heavyweight belt back because you know, he maybe he isn't as like quick on his feet, but I don't know. His punches and the way he moved in that ring looked like he was almost in his prime. It seemed like, I mean, Roy Jones, he was definitely, I mean, he, he was old. But, you know, I still wouldn't want to take a punch from him. I'm not saying that. But it looked like Tyson, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it, it ended up being a draw. Yeah. But Tyson definitely won the fight. I mean, that's just that just shows how stupid boxing is. Yeah, I'm so Tyson su- definitely won the fight. But it seemed like Tyson was, like, holding back a little bit. Like, he didn't want to knock out Roy Jones because he was, he was landing basically any punch he wanted. And it seemed like if he wanted to, he could have thrown one of those uppercuts and knocked him out. But... It was fun. I mean, it's just crazy to think. Like, I don't know if you guys saw any of the clips, but like Snoop Dogg was like the—I don't know if you want to call him like the promoter, or he was like the the guy, like you know, intro, like the Michael Buffer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
3: you get—you're watching a fight where Snoop Dogg's out there smoking a blunt, <laughs> getting this fight going, and then he's calling that—he's on it ringside, calling the fight. It's 2020. You're watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones fight. It's like this is like the coolest thing ever. This is how boxing should always be. Let Snoop Dogg call. Every fight. It was
2: great. From what I saw on Twitter, Snoop Dogg uh, stole the show. And 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 it just goes back to when uh, do you guys even know who Jake Paul is? Does that name even ring a bell on the Nate Robinson yeah. knock uh, Oh knockout. I was gonna bring that up, but what a punch. But it was an incredible knockout, very demeaning. Just right. the way that he fell, like, how he fell. It was great. And <laughs> then Snoop Dogg going, oh Lord, when he <laughs> got out. like it's just that's Snoop Dogg, it's classic. But yeah. Jake Paul's a YouTuber is basically who wow, he is. Okay. Very popular, like unbelievably popular, like hundred like probably a hundred million subscribers. Wow. But, uh, yeah, Nate Robinson just totally embarrassed. I tell you what, it looked like it lived up to ended up being a pretty good pay-per-view when it was all said and done. I'm
1: going to definitely watch it when it becomes available for free, that's for sure. No doubt about it. Uh, one final, final thing. You know, it got kind of swept under the rug. It was the golf match, too, right? Did anybody watch it? I didn't. I didn't have any interest. I, I, I turned it on for about a minute or so and watched Charles swing, but... I watched it and I thought this is nothing like the first time around. I think part of it was that was the only game around, right? When they Yeah,
2: and the thing is like who the heck really wants to watch Steph Curry play golf? Yeah. I, I the way it's like get another pro. Right. I, like I no no wonder Phil, Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley win pretty much handily. Like people Steph Curry is sort of like Tony Romo where it's like a fake how good he is at golf. Well, a football like you're not you're, not you're not you're not up it? to a pro's level of of ability. You're right. good for an amateur, but you're not a pro exactly and, good to see him brought back down to earth a little bit
1: <laughs> all right well let's just leave it there we'll call it a wrap everyone just uh don't forget follow us let our partners know you listen in they include advanced elevator crunna connection hankered sportswear rivals tap house and grill nelson house funeral homes Sheridan Auction Service, and Z92.5 The Castle. We want to thank our special guest, Mike Vanderpool. Check out his documentary on Amazon, and uh, we'll check in with you next week. For Jared Fattel and Matt Burns, I'm Ted Fattel. Thank you again for supporting 3 Point Podcast, and make sure you mask up out there, everybody.